Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Talking Locks podcast with Lockitude. This is the Everyday People with Locks series and I'm your host, Adi Balogun. This episode is produced by Savage Media. Today, we'll be threatening the glove with Gumu, who is of Kenyan descent and has spent the last decade and a half exploring parts of the world in his journeys through life as a man with locks. He is also a professional mountain climber, a good friend, and a big motivator of Lockitude. And now, without further ado, let's get into it. Hi Gumu, welcome to the Talking Locks podcast with Lockitude. This is the Everyday People with Locks series and we are very happy to have you on today. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure having being around and trying to talk a little bit of uh, of the logs uh, journey. <laughs> Great. Okay, so um, would you kind of like to? I like to start to say, you know, tell us your full name and a little bit about yourself, so that our listeners can get a sense of um, who you are. Okay. Uh, where do I start? Start with um, my name's uh, Gumo Charles. Always start with the African name because that's how African I am. And um, from Kenya, born and raised, a country boy. Um, I don't know. Um, then uh, um, grew up in Kenya, did all the stuff, and then I've been out in of Kenya from as far back as zero seven. Traveled to a few countries and now I'm um, currently at uh, Qatar in Doha. Wow, awesome. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, that's like 13 years of traveling around the globe. I wish I had your life without any drama that you personally have, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's a beautiful life, but it has, all, uh, it has its, uh, you know, ups and downs. So sometimes I wish I was home sometimes and then yeah i kind of love traveling and seeing all these different cultures uh, around the world okay great so how long have you had your locks now wow now six years counting six years that's short i thought it would have been more well, okay well oh uh, yeah i think it's six years counting and going to the seventh year because i started with when you know as I always tell you, it's like uh, it was um, a dream, and I promised to myself that when I clock forty, then I'll, I'll you know, I'll put. Uh, now I'm clocking forty-six, so so oh. I count it as years, and, years. and counting. Well, you must be yeah. right. I think I feel like I've known you forever. That's why I feel it's been longer than that. Okay, yeah. that that's interesting. Um, I'll just go back to the promise. Uh, you had a dream and then you promised yourself you're going to have locks at the age of 40. Is, is that yeah. right? That's all right, yeah. So what was that dream like? I'm just curious. Ah, uh, uh, Now, growing up and, uh, you know, the age, in those days of the 80s, there were some music uh, videos that I used to watch. Not more of reggae because you kind of grow up knowing reggae with locks. Mm-hmm. And then there was another group. I can't remember the group, and they had these uh, small locks that you put, you shave the sides, and they are just at the top of your head. 
and mm-hmm. I was like, wow, I kind of love to have love to have that kind of locks. And then as I was growing up, I knew, okay, these is two things that I would want in my life. And I promised myself, like, when I grow, when I'm out of my parents' house, because my dad would have, uh, like, I don't think, I think my dad would have shot me. <laughs> and so I decided, when I grow up and I'm out and I'm doing my things, and then I hit 40, I promised myself I'll have two things. I'll have locks, and then I'll get myself a tattoo. And that's what I did after happy birthday on the 40th. Oh, awesome. Okay, um, you said something interesting that I can identify with as a West African. You said when you leave home, you know, you didn't want your father to shoot you. So he said, yeah, you wanted to be completely grown and independent before having your locks. I think in West Africa, a lot of men and even women experience the same thing where you are looking yeah. for absolute independence. So my question is, are locks found that in East Africa? Yeah, with the, the older generation, uh, fortunately now it's like they, they are the in thing. But now when you go back, being the child of the 70s, growing up in the 80s, um, my parents and the family and the community at large were frowned about um, the locks were not something to envy. If you had locks, you had two things. You were like a thief or a troublesome you are problem to the society they didn't look at them like wow this is good so it was the mad men and women who had locks and thieves mm. that had lock and i know kids that could not hear or obey to their parents so having locks and then you are into drugs mm. so and if you're not a thief then you're into drugs and then so it was something to be envy and people who had locks would be like there was all this you'd hear the community you'd hear your parents you'd hear people saying i would not want my child to turn out like so and so and so and so is not into drugs but that was the conception of and that that the whole idea you're into drugs you are a thief you are you're not somebody in the family and because you didn't have and when i mean family is the the family idea is the idea of the of the African, like a family is the whole village and the mm-hmm. community. So that's why I it just came out when I said I was looking forward for that day when I will be free and uh, independent. Then I, at least I can go back to my dad and know my dad will be like, okay, as much as I don't approve, then you, yeah, it's good. I now I'm old and wise. So yeah. It's something that, uh, that's the whole notion in the, in those days, in the eighties. Okay. That's some very interesting perspective you bring because, um, in my own few years of travel, you know, when you go east to east of Africa and to the south of Africa, you see more and more people having locks. So I actually automatically thought that it was something that, uh, there were no negative, um, connotations about, so I think we have actually, or I personally have gained some insights. Um, I know we're talking about travel, but I'm just going to use the opportunity of you being from another side of Africa to ask some other questions. Do you think that the negative perceptions of mostly the older generation stem from colonialism or where do you think we stopped embracing our hair as Africans? Um, an interesting uh question and i think the theory for me it baffles me a little bit because now 
if you look at um, East Africa, let me be precise by Kenya. And then when I say Kenya, let me be precise with my 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 tribe, the Kikuyu tribe. When you go to the Kikuyu tribe, they used to have, and the Maasai up to now, but let me first touch on the Kikuyu. Uh, the war for independence, the men had locks. Mm. And they were heroes. They were not looked down upon. They were heroes. Because the guy who were on the side of the coronials, those who are like now uh, the turncoats, as they were called, and they were hated, and the family was, you know, sneered any time they walk out and, and everything. All the bad things were going to the guys that were working for the coronial. Then I don't know. And then after independence, the whole thing of the British, because being ruled by the British, the, the clean shave, the suits and everything, um things started to turn and uh yeah loosely i would blame put the blame square on the colonial masters i think to have said now this is not good because these are the guys if you had locks then you are either from the mau mau or you're still believing in the mau mau war or you're still a follower of the mau mau war so i think it was something that the fear was put to a point that now the clean shave the small the small hair then not to have the afro, it was now the cool thing. And so, yeah, to me, it is. It is like uh, that's where the belief of we've got to look to shun away from locks. I think that came came about from that time. Okay. I almost feel like yep. um, I'm in a university lecture room taking some notes on East Africa. I was going to start asking about the Mau Mau um, war and what that meant. But I, I know that this is a locks and travel podcast. So let's bring it back to the conversation we're trying to have. So I met you in Nigeria probably about four or five years ago now. And um, at the time, you were basically living in Nigeria. Uh, you did mention at the beginning of the podcast that you are in Qatar now. And um, I know we have spent some time fortunately for me as you being my mountain guide in kenya and in tanzania so it does seem like you've been just my own personal encounters with you i know of you in about four different countries at the very least so in the past few years where has life taken you to where have you traveled to if we can start from there okay so way back in 0708 i traveled um when we got, uh, when me and now my time, at that time, uh, fiancé or girlfriend at that time, before we got married, Diana Gerard, and then we decided we are going to be in a neutral country, so we went to Kazakhstan. At the moment, I didn't know where Kazakhstan is, but it is a huge, uh, beautiful country, full of mountains, full of history, uh full of good people and it took me to kazakhstan and i was there for like five years and a place that i still love called diary and then from then that's when i came to nigeria mm-hmm. and <laughs> surprisingly when i was in kazakhstan in uh, in the church uh, icu international christian uh union we i had some friends from kazakhstan and that's the guys who gave me the the, the Nigerian's name, Noachuku. Yes, <laughs> And I was I was telling them that I would love to go because 
of the Nigerians movie. I love the movies of the village, the pigeon speaking uh, movies. I love them. I love them. And I used to tell them, like, I would like to go to your country and then go to the village and sit, sip palm wine and then <laughs> listen to these guys. Lo and behold, I didn't know that I'm going to be there for another almost five years. And um, we've, I found myself now again in Nigeria, a place that I also call home. I met uh, you and some other lovely people and uh, was there for another, yeah, uh, almost five years. Then I moved from there, went to Uganda, East Africa, the Pearl of Africa, as they call it, a beautiful, easy down. And I remember complaining to my, to my wife, saying, these people are too calm. I was used to the <laughs> battle of Nigeria and the, the shouting matches of Nigeria and people, you know, until when I was coming, like, like, uh-uh, wait a minute, these people are too calm. Uh, I'm, I'm missing something. I want something. And then my wife was like, come, why don't you just, you know, enjoy? And I'm like, no, I was enjoying that. Uh, the hustle and bustle of Lagos. Yeah, so Lagos, these people are too calm for my liking, you know, they're everything, there is no that, uh, so yeah, I was there for another two years, and then uh, we had to move again, and now I'm in Qatar, Doha, for almost now going to two years, and uh, so, and then in the UK, I'm on and off, it's another place that I call home. So for the last, um, always in a year, make sure that I'm there twice or thrice. So it's another place that I also travel to. I've been, well, these other countries just for visiting. You go there, you come back, and uh, yeah, so basically that's me. Okay, that that's awesome. That's like real, an adventurous life. Like if I was given a, a choice to, you know, just spend a few years in a different country and have very interesting experiences and make new um, family, I would be very excited. And I am excited for you because when I did meet you in Lagos, um, you know, I was able to learn a lot from you. I started to pick up some Swahili. Oh my God, I was going to start this podcast with Mambo, Mambo VP. Oh yeah, I was like, what happened to you? I was like, I'm talking to a dead fish. <laughs> Mambo, Mambo VP. Huh? Yes. Yeah. You're not responding. Mambo pole pole. Oh, sour, yeah. sour, sour, sour. Sour, <laughs> sour. Oh, yes, I had to flaunt some of my Swahili skills there. Um, yeah, so, uh, in what country exactly did you start your locks? Because I believe you already had them before you came to Nigeria. Yeah, I had them. Um, started by a good friend of mine who is a, a guy called Kibe in Kenya mm. um, yeah so that's where I started my my lock journey and uh, I remember my first time when they were all done I was like uh uh-uh, do I love them do I now the journey has started I felt because I was I had a a big afro so I my mind was remember when I was growing up I still had you know uh, I saw that video of that music group so for some reason, I just wanted to have a whole head full of locks. So I didn't go for the just the top of the head. So having a big afro, we are used to big hair, and then all of a sudden, when they're all done, they are all lying down. You know, mm-hmm. a bit I, skinny. Mm, yeah, I look very different. So I had to get a a, a hat <laughs> to wear, 
uh, base camp. And uh, yeah, so I started in Kenya. That's where my lock uh, journey started. Okay, awesome. So I'm thinking in my mind now, um, over the last like six years, you've gone from Kenya to Nigeria to Uganda, now Qatar, in and out of the UK. And you have this hair. How is it like getting to a new place and trying to figure out how to maintain your hair? Can you tell us a bit about finding people, what the weather in these different countries does to your hair and how you cope in managing it? Oh boy, yeah. It's now that's that's where you kind of feel like should I cut them? Should I do this? Should I do? Um, now coming to after they were done, then it was now the whole journey has started to keep them, and then so there is all these. Um, you start now getting to go to the shops, to the sites there where the women shower caps are. First, it was odd and it was a bit weird and it didn't feel comfortable. To go and say, can I have a shower cap? Or now you have a shower cap in your bag. So <laughs> those are the things that I hadn't factored in. And um, so it's been uh, challenging. Coming to coming to you, uh, Nigeria, first I was like confused. But I remember the first place I went to is, I think, Four Seasons. The hotel Four Seasons, seasons by, I think, Lekki. Yeah. And didn't go well because it didn't go well until this now luck yeah four point four point yeah it was a four point in like that's where i went the first time and the lady who did my hair oh god she didn't even know what she was doing so i was like me i'm done my own don't finish all. <laughs> so but uh luckily, <laughs> luckily i went to this kenyan uh, meeting and there was a lady who saw me and she was so happy because there was another lockhead the meeting all these ambassadorial meetings where you go to so and so is coming and she came up to me and then she started having small talks and that's when she introduced me to you she told me there is a lady called a dead in dolphin i didn't know where it is and uh the number is this and then uh the famous call that i did to you (laughs) and uh we started off (laughs) so uh getting to know you getting to come to lock to you that has been a blessing and um thank you so much because when locks are that tiny they need to be nurtured and uh, you did a beautiful fantastic job so i walk um with my head high because of you and i thank you so much uh going to uh, uganda again it was also um it's always the different um as you're saying the different weather Sometimes it's too dry, then you're like, you don't know what to do. Are you applying too much oil? Are you supposed to wash with this? Or are you doing to do? It was always, uh, it's been always a, a, a struggle to find somebody, a loctician who is, who has your high, I, I find, and uh, I find it, you need somebody who is in love with your hair, not like more of the money that mm. they, they, they want proud that when they see you they see this is my work but i uh, i find most of the people they are you come in it's the the money not the upkeep not the welfare of your hair and i i feel it when i go to a new salon uh loctician the way they are going to handle my and it i think for me it gives me it makes my searching a bit harder because i want somebody who i go in and feel comfortable that they are proud 
that they, whatever they are doing to my hair, it's them. This is my work, and most of them they are detached. I feel them; they are detached, and I can't go back to somebody like that. Mm, mm. So, yeah. So getting, I need somebody who, yes, uh, this is it. I'm, I'm proud, and so it's been hard. And going to Uganda, I found, I found another guy. Luckily, he was from uh, uh, the Congo. That's um, Congo yeah. Brazzaville. And he was a good guy, and slowly by slowly, he got and he knew what he was doing. And now, the time I almost felt that I'm going to cut my hair is now coming to Qatar. I was like, how do I get somebody to do my hair? I haven't seen anybody or any friends or Kenyan scene with locks. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to cut. And again, I had that feeling. I don't want people to, to say, like, okay, he cut his hair because the Arabs said you should cut your locks. Mm. So that thing. And also I was determined to get somebody, a loctician. And... Being in a Muslim country, that was a bit tricky. But at the end of the day, I, I met a lady who works as a cleaner. And they say, where do you get, where do you do this, where do you do this? And uh, I was lucky enough to get somebody. And that guy works under the radar of the government. But yeah, he's, uh, he's good. So there is that, uh, when you have locks, you find like, um, there is that challenge of trying to get uh, somebody who is, you know, when you're used to somebody like uh, Lockitude, to get somebody like Lockitude. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. You know? So just a follow-up question to that. In finding, it just seems like you kind of have to find who works for you. And I really like what you said, that you have to find someone who cares about the welfare of your hair and not just money. Yes. So that way you guys are able to grow together. But in your looking and searching, did you ever pick up any skills in doing your own hair yourself? Oh, yes. Now I think I can even open a uh, lock tube part two. (laughs) (laughs) We should talk after this call for a partnership for expansion, (laughs) you know. (laughs) Yeah, I I have, I have. And I think from um, first and foremost, I always go back to, because in Kenya, the guy started my journey not much of uh, what to do with my hair. And then I came to Nigeria where after some time I met you. Mm-hmm. And I remember you doing your own hair because I met you when you still had your locks. It was like, um, it was still long and all that kind of stuff. So there are some styles, easy. I can make a very beautiful bun. I don't have even, if I want a bun, a beautiful one, I know how to do it. And then later on, there was some time you started uh, kind of teaching me how to stuff and then you started off with a locktude um, uh, styling uh, on YouTube. YouTube yeah uh, yeah so because I it was easy for me to follow you because I know you like you know I know you from that mm-hmm. time when I was in Korea so I could I, I knew when you say this is simple this is it so yeah I've known how to do I can take care of my I know like which uh, uh, like, uh, for example, oils to use and simple. I can do simple styling to myself. So, yeah, I've picked a few. I've picked a few styles along the way. Okay, that that's actually great. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Oh, I still have a lot of questions to ask you, by the way. So I hope you're ready. 
Um, I think okay. I'm trying to decide which way to go first. If we should talk about mountain climbing before we talk about relationships, but I think I'll go relationships first. So um, it is very common that locks, uh, men with locks are like, you know, stereotyped, like we've already said in the beginning of this conversation. And in finding a wife, you kind of have perceptions, not just from your wife, but also from your wife's family. Um, it is my understanding because I've been doing some mathematics here. You talked about being in, um, being in that relationship, like as far back as 13 years ago or thereabouts. And then your luck started only about six years ago. So this was something that happened in the middle of the relationship. If you don't mind, can you tell us how your partner kind of took that transition from knowing you as a clean cut man to a man that now, or uh, you did mention you had an afro to now deciding to lock your hair. Ah, okay. Now, um, and luckily I'm in a so kind of, I'll call open, we discuss if I want to cut my hair, that's my wife. Oh yeah, how long should I, should I leave it? How, how far should I go? That kind of stuff. I want to apply a bit of um, color. Should I go for this? No, you look good on this, you look good on that. So um, I had kind of mentioned to her that uh, I would, there's something that I want to do in life. And I would want to, to put, uh, you know, to have some locks. So she was cool with that. And I remember there was a time we were just seated and uh, we went through, you know, you went on um, um, Google uh, internet to go and look at some styles. So if you have locks, how can you style? Which one, how do you, would you, which one would be cool? So we opened up, it wasn't before, it was way before the Instagram. So we went on online and so first she was okay with that. And then afterwards, um, I'll be truthful to say, when I had them, first she was like, hmm, I don't know if now I like you with them, or like, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but, um, okay, because now you have them, let's see. And But again, she reminded me, because I told her, if I have them, then I'll have them for a number of years, and that's almost like five years. So she was like, okay, I'll be looking, because I love you truly when you have. But truly, uh, slowly they can um she warmed up to the idea and she saw, uh, as I always tell people, we are the custodians of locks. So because of the perception of the people, because I was even shocked that even in the UK, if you have locks, you are druggy, you are all that kind of. So for, for her also, she had that kind of, uh -oh, we need them to have a clean look, you need to be this, you have to be this. And I've been the custodian of locks, as I tell you, I've told you. Uh, then I had to have to keep them clean. I have to, and then slowly, yes, she warmed up to to me having locks. But I'll tell you this: she's looking forward to the day I think I'm going to cut them, so that uh, I'm back to the way she knew. So she longs for that, uh, for for that look. Okay. Um. Um. Yeah, I understand her, though. I would imagine. Uh, if I fell in love with a man that had a big afro and then he changes it up on me in the middle of our relationship, I may not be very yeah. pleased. So you might just be looking yeah. for that young afro man. So yeah, I think I'm going to yeah. die on this, on this one. Um, <laughs> so when the time comes though, um, yeah, the next yeah. 
parts of relationships I would uh, like to explore. How do your like kids or your child, how does she perceive you? I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm mentioning names and I'm already, because I do know you so well. I know that there's like, you know, you have a child called Michelle. So I'm going ahead and thinking like everybody else is on the same page with me. But tell us about how your child perceives you with locks. Well, I've got a daughter who had just turned 19, so called Michelle, mm-hmm. living together, the lovely lady. Um, first, she wasn't sure. She's grown up knowing dad uh, with this clean, 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 you know, small hair and a tiny floor. And uh, so the first time she wasn't quite sure of, um, do I like, do I like or love daddy with locks? And then later on, when I think she she even started washing it for me and styling it, she grew to love them. And now, now she's like, oh, no, don't cut, don't cut, don't cut. I love them. So she is cool. She is cool. And, um, yes, when, um, when um, I want them to be clean or something or for a bit of style, now she knows how to style them. And she's a good helper with keeping them clean and uh, style up. So, yeah, she, she loves them now. She loves them. that's actually quite nice um i i I would imagine that having been a teenager myself because i don't want to say i've had a teenager i don't have teenagers but i can imagine that teenagers can be a little bit difficult to connect to when they start to become teenagers so it's nice to have a, a way of connecting with your daughter through your hair oh okay all right and then back home um, when you decided this at 40 and going back to Kenya for holidays, I presume, how did family on that side perceive your hair? <laughs> now, I have uh, been the, the youngest of the four brothers and very close to my nephews and my uncles, uh, I ne- uh, nephews and nieces. They're so cool. They were like they were so happy that they have a, an uncle who has locks. So that part I didn't have any problem. I never had even problem with my old man, my dad. Mm. He was so cool it because now uh, my my dad is um is he is cool and he is now like when they fought the war they fought the war and that is that and then he became now this man with suits and everything. So he loves to be clean and everything and. That is the thing he loves. But now, as I told you, being the custodian of the locks, I was clean. Then my locks were clean. They were tidy, and they were well cared. And I think he he sat and observed. And he, at the end of the day, he didn't have a problem with that. So he never talked to me about locks. Now I'm even surprised when some of my family members want to put uh, locks. He tells them, if you have to have locks then they should be as tidy, as clean as your uncle. Mm. So, yeah, he, he, has, uh, and he has loved them. He has accepted them. And the whole family, my mom doesn't have a problem. My brothers and sisters, they don't even want me to cut them. And uh, so, yeah, it, it, I was re- received well in the family with my locks, and which was now having grown up thinking, what are they going to think about my locks and all that, the fear. Yeah, I was surprised that even my dad uh, embraced my locks. So right, that's, that, that's awesome. That's great to hear. I love to hear positive affirmation yeah. from family and relationships. So um, it almost seems like um, our wife is the one that we have to 
beg for a few more years to allow us to carry it before we eventually cut yeah. it and give her back her afro. Oh, surprisingly, she surprises me once in a while. Say, hey, you look good. You look good. And I know she knows. <laughs> and, but she's also, hey, but remember, you promised me. You know these people. You promised me. <laughs> yeah. So for me, there was a timeline. There was this from here to that end. And now I'm still like uh, uh, looking to continue up to my 50s with or 50 with my logs. So it's yeah, she's like, yeah, much as I love them, still I want you to, mm. yeah. So, yeah, I know where she stands. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay, um, now I want to kind of talk about a very interesting part of your life that we have managed to keep silent-ish up till this point of the podcast. Um, when I did meet you in Lagos about four or five years ago now, I really can't pinpoint the time. I just feel like I've known you forever. I did mention to you that I wanted to climb a mountain and I was thinking, of course, if you want to climb a mountain, you first of all go to Kilimanjaro because that's all you know. And um, somewhere along the line, I decided to climb Mount Kenya and you were one of the people that encouraged me because you are actually a professional mountain climber. So I'm really happy for lucky to you and like all the great people and awesome people that I meet that enable, you know, me to do all sorts of things. Um, so the backstory for our listeners is, yes, by the time I decided to really go and climb Mount Kenya, Gumu um, didn't live in Nigeria anymore, but we were still able to connect and he was the one who took me up my first big mountain. Now, <laughs> um, I, I want to talk about mountain climbing a little bit. I know it's a little bit off topic, but we will talk about how you care for your hair if you're in the mountains a lot. And some of those trips, you're there for seven days on end. So we did Mount Mount um, Kenya together, I think, in 2018. And it was a beautiful trip. It was my first big mountain. It was nothing like I expected. And then in 2019, we did Mount Kilimanjaro together again. And I think um, my trip in 2019 was really emotional because it was... Um, a few days after my dad had passed and it was really um, everybody else who we had planned a trip with had to cancel. But Gumu came all the way from Qatar to take me up that mountain and we did peak. So um, the backstory done. Gumu, tell us a little bit about being a professional mountain climber. What does that really mean? Uh, it means fresh, fresh air. It means... Uh... Ah, it means uh, enjoying and um, appreciating the work of God. It means uh, freedom. It means um, everything that is good in life, I think. <laughs> well, some people contest that, but it is. Because you're getting tired. How can it be the good, everything that is good in life? Um, I, from when I think I remember myself as a small boy, I was adventurous. Was those boys that could climb trees, jump into rivers. I've got some weird stories about when I was uh, growing up. I was those boys that would go and throw stones at uh, the beehive so that you can be chased. <laughs> and I knew uh, a bird's nest were and uh, all that kind of stuff. And I could be all alone. In uh, I grew up in a small, like in a up country, closer to a town, but it wasn't all that close. And I loved that just being out there. And I remember as I grew up, I also wanted to be a soldier. 
and the reason is not because I want to kill I wanted to kill anybody or to shoot anybody or to be shot it's all that life of being in the forest camping to me that would have that was what I was seeing I didn't see what soldiers do I knew that soldiers go and camp and be there in the forest so it has been there the outdoor in me and then unfortunately when I find finally finished high school I didn't go uh, I didn't become a whatever I wanted to be. So I started working in a factory in Nairobi. And after six years, I was like, you know what? I wasn't cut for this. I'm not um, eight to whatever, eight, eight <laughs> to five. Or eight. Yeah. So, uh, kind of, no, office is not for me. And uh, one day I just left. I didn't even finalize anything. I just left one December and I went back home. Uh sent papers afterwards, resignation, I resigned and everything without nothing but just me and myself. Went back to the family, uh, to back up country. And uh, that's when the, when later on we opened a, a company with my brother. And then from the third floor of our office, every morning I could see Mount Kenya far in the distance and I could stop doing whatever I was doing just to, uh, to gaze at the beauty of Mount Kenya. Then one time my uh, sister called me and said, hey, do you want to do Mount Kenya? I say, wow, yes, I want to do my Kenya. And say, um, my husband has a group and uh, they're taking, they are, I think, Canadian uh, high school kids. And uh, do you want to join? I said, yes, please, I want to come. And that's how I stopped also left my company with my brother and I never looked back and uh, so Mount Kenya became my office mm. and I worked there for two years like six years and then uh, before now going to Kazakhstan and then I continued that's where I met somebody uh, a Russian guy called Mika Mika I used to call him Mika and then again he introduced now to rope climbing like now proper rope technical mm -hmm. and then god i was married to the mountains mm -hmm. so yeah that like, summary uh, that's how and then later on went to the uk uh did their mountains and then went to do a mountain course in the uk which um i did and i finished and then i returned back home to do some more uh mountains so i'm still doing mountains and uh hoping to do mountains until my old ribs will tell me no more. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I really resonate with that. I think um, uh, whew, climbing a mountain is an experience and a half. It, um, it kind of tells you a little bit more about yourself. Um, having climbed uh, mountains with you, I just want to get your own perspective. In those six, seven days, five days when you are... Yeah in the mountain, camping, are you even thinking about your hair? Are you worried about what's my hair doing? Especially considering the fact that um, a mount like, I think even two of them, mountains like Kilimanjaro and Kenya, they take you through almost four seasons in the matter of like four days. So you go from yep. thick forest, humid um, um, atmosphere into like a, a shrub atmosphere, into a desert-like atmosphere, then into glaciers all in the period of a very short time. Does it ever bother you what is happening to your hair in that period or are you just focused on the goal? 
Well, there are two things. Uh, I think I get more worried about about my hair before I start a big climb, as you're saying, an adventure like we did Kili that was almost eight days. So of all these different um, uh, terrains and weather patterns and everything, you go to Kenya, you do another one week. I've been to like Scotland where I've done like a whole 14 days. Wow. And that's day one to the last. That whole trip takes 14 days. You get rained on, you get a bit of sunshine and then all that kind of stuff. So I'm more worried of before I start the hikes. And that's why I always find like because it's all planned, I have to be uh, ready. So I have my hair done before mm-hmm. and then in between, if it's done, then I will, in my travel bag, in my rucksack, I will have like a, a little bit of um, uh, uh, hair food to mm-hmm. keep, to try tain it. So, yeah, I worry about it. But again, when I go to the mountain, you're too much into the mountain and everything. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, you remember your hair in the morning when you're washing your face and you know taking care of yourself then I'll, I'll put a little bit of uh, hair food a lotion here and then I'll cover it when it's raining I need to take care of it and cover it with a, a proper rain uh, rainproof hat so that at least I, ke- I keep it because well if it gets all wet then it's trouble to try and keeping it uh, drying it so yeah um, it's more of when before I start any big hike, uh, I've got to have my hair done, and then if it's not done, then I've got to make sure that I have the necessary oils, at least either two or three different that I'm going to be applying to keep it uh, to keep it going. Because I always think at the, end, at the back of mind, I'm a custodian of the locks, so mm-hmm. I want even people out there to still look at my hair and say, "Wow, now I would like to have locks." Because we're up in the mountain in day six and they still look okay. Yeah, right. I love the word you keep using, the custodians of locks. I think we've had a very rich, rich conversation so far. And um, I wish I had thought about this before the podcast. I would know the exact way to phrase it, but I'm going to try. I think they say things like, you know, if you are left on a deserted island, um, what three things would you have for your hair or something like that? So let's, let's, re, let's, let's try and imagine you are left on a mountain all by yourself and you can't find your way down and you are stuck for a while. What three things would you have for your hair? Oh boy, three <laughs> things. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, three things now. Hmm. Very interesting. Well, oils first. Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll have either any, well, it's not easy to find Vaseline hair tonic, man. Those ones were there for the days. <laughs> so I have oils, and um, I think to keep it moisturized, you can use either, you have some water, and then I can have, I'd like to have a hairband. Okay. All right. So I've got, Yeah. It, I would, because I would like to change the hairstyle, I will go crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, you can always tie another with three pieces strands of your hair, mm-hmm. of your locks. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I never come to think about it. So I think it will be all different types. I'll have um, oils and I'll have... Um, uh, Water, you said. 
we are, I will get water and then I'll have shampoo to clean it at okay. least so that uh, you get the, the the grit out of it. So because you cannot keep on applying oils when it's dirty. Yeah, I so, get you though. I, I feel you went, yeah. you did very well with that question. I'm not sure what my response would have been if I got asked that. So if anybody's asking me such a question in the future, just know I'll be imitating you. I think oils, water and a hairband sounds like the three yeah. things that you kind of really want if you're stuck um, for a while on the mountains. Right. So this has been awesome so, so far. Um, just a couple more questions and then we'll take it from there. But first of all, uh, or we'll wrap up from there, but first of all, let's kind of go through some of the things that you've said that kind of struck me. First of all, your locks were kind of a promise to yourself, something that you always wanted to do and you sought your independence. You sought that when you were completely independent of, um, your society and environment, you decided yeah. to do it. Um, you keep on mentioning custodians, saying that we are the custodians of our hair. I feel it's a little bit unfortunate that we kind of have to be custodians of something that is growing out of our bodies and so natural to us. But I do get it that if we want the perceptions and the negative stereotypes to change, then we have to be the custodians of our hair to say, hey, look, you can be anything you want to be with your hair. We have also learned from you that um, you need to find a loctician who is focused on the welfare of your hair. So that way it's not just about money and you are getting the right treatment for your your, your hair. We've also seen you navigate several countries over time with your hair and gaining Nigerian names, trying to learn Pidgin English in the process. Um, and um, I think so far so good. It's been exciting. One word that actually strikes out, which most of our other podcast guests mention in, refer to, in, in reference to their hair is freedom. But I did like that you mentioned it in reference to the mountains because, yes, when you are out there, it's um, almost like a pilgrimage. You go out, you're walking for miles and climbing and your body feels like you're going to die. But the accomplishments and the freedom, the fresh air and just imagining how beautiful this planet is and seeing it for yourself firsthand in an, in an untouched state is just amazing. So that's been awesome so, so far. So I guess my last question for you today is if there's anyone out there who is potentially planning to travel around the world and have, has locked hair or is planning to lock their hair, what advice would you have for them? Just travel. Mm. <laughs> Just travel. If you, it's it's um. You wear. We are supposed to wear our hair the way we want. So there's somebody who is a bald head. That's how they want to be. There's somebody who want to to be locked. That's a part of what you've got to be. And lock your hair and travel. Just let it be you. Be how you can wear a suit. There's somebody who wants to wear a tie suit, baggy suit, color. There's, there's somebody who wants a wig. There's someone who wants a braid for the ladies. There are some other ladies that want to be this guy. These days, some ladies, are, they get their hair shaved. And it's, it's just your personality. So just get locked and travel. 
keep it neat, keep it tidy, so that people, when they look at you, they don't just, you know, they don't look at it in disgusted because it's not. That's why I'm saying we are Castorian. We have to keep it. We have we have to fight. We are so. Let me just answer it back. Like, just lock your hair and travel. Mm-hmm. That's 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 the only thing I can say. People yeah. have looked at me in a funny way, but at the end of the day, they are like, oh, "Okay, I think I like his hair more than the one I saw with that the other guy." So that's the difference. So mm-hmm. keep it tidy and have your hair. Don't be who you are and travel the world. Mm-hmm. You know, I lied. I said I said yeah. that, that that was my last question, but I like what you said now, and I realize that we really didn't touch on that. So when we think about locks, we think about locks in the context of places that are um, black dominated. So like our continents, um, Mother Africa is full of black people, and we have our stereotypes about our hair. When you go to the UK and the US, you do have. Um, significant amounts of black people around, even though, yes, we're the minority. But in an Arab nation, I can imagine that blacks are even more of a minority. What is it really like being a black man with locked hair in Qatar in 2021? So I'll let let you answer that with a small story. Uh, When I came here, Regardless that you have an international driving license, you have to, as if you're not from uh, UK, Canada, and wherever, another funny country, you have to do a half-course driving. That is in that is in their law. So when I came here, I had to go and do my half-course driving. When the day came for my, uh, you know, for my test, one of my friends who I had met called me, and she told me, hey, my friend, you have to do something with your hair. And like, what do you mean I have to do something with my hair? And then she was like, you have to wear either beanie hat or you have to cover it with something. Because these guys, they might even look at you and I fail you. And I was like, so that thing for a week before, I think, yeah, a week before my test, it was eating me up. I'm like, this is me. This is who I am. But um, with these Arabs and everything, now the guy can film me because of having uh, locks. And it ate me. And I was like, and then at the end of the day, I was like, you know what? This is me. This is who I am. And I'm going just to be who I am. So I didn't hide my locks. And uh, I went there. I, they were nicely tire, tied. Uh, you know, you, they're nicely, um, they're tidy and everything. Mm-hmm. And there was no problem. But now this is the whole thing. They some of them are not very comfortable with us. It's so you find some looks from the the mainstream guys, Arabs, looking at you like, why? That's like supposed to be ladies' hairstyle. So why are you having it? And but that's why I've tell, I've just said you travel. People are going to look at you in different ways. It's been hard, but uh, it's not as hard. Like I can't leave the house. That I'm thinking they're going. I haven't. Apart from that, I haven't had anybody. You know, they will look at you, but nobody has said anything. But mm. it's all about how you wear your hair and how you walk around in in, in your hair. And so it's all about. I mean, having that confidence. And when they look at you, like you know what. Even in Kenya, some of them, they look at me like, why is he having that kind of hair? So when I have that attitude, so now, yeah, I travel the world. Uh, 
with my head high held high awesome awesome thank you so 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 much for taking us a little bit to kazakhstan which i can't even really imagine what it will be like out there maybe i should put that on my travel list um coming to nigeria where i met you um telling us a little bit about uganda and um i think we're going to at some point plan to do the renzori mountains i hope i pronounced that right yes the the moon, the mountains of the moon, Renzori, beautiful mountains, beautiful. Yeah. Spend ten days, some of the best time. Yeah, and um, thank you for the stories from Qatar and just having a perception of what that is like, and from the UK. And I think I've learned a lot more about the Kukuyu tribe, Kenya, and for my own personal um, curiosity, I'm probably going to be researching the Mau Mau War. So I think this has been packed. This has been interesting. And I don't want to take all of your Sunday from you yet. Because even though it's a holiday for me, it's actually a work day for you. So, which is interesting. So thank you so much, Gumu, for joining me on this episode. It's been a pleasure as always talking to you. Thank you so, so much for having me around. It was a great pressure. Pleasure, uh, pleasure is all mine. And uh, yeah, I've enjoyed everything. And thank you so much for uh, for doing what you did to my locks. <laughs> my pleasure. All right, Gumu, bye. Okay, bye. That was an enjoyable conversation which has led me to be a bit more curious about the history of our brothers and sisters on the east of the continent. Even though we are different, our stories are mostly the same. Well, it was a pleasure to speak to Gumu as always, and I hope you enjoyed it. In our next episode, we'll be focusing on locks and the buzzword, feminism. This is often controversial, but I hope our guest and I will be able to peel up the skills and make some sense of it and also see if locks plays a part or has a reflection on that ideology and lifestyle. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to the Talking Locks podcast with Lockity. It has been such a pleasure being your host. My name again is Adi Balugun and thanks to our producer, Savage Media. Please don't forget to follow us on social media. We are at Lockitude, L-O-C-I-T-U-D-E, and you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And for more interesting podcast episodes on Everyday People with Locks, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. We are currently on Google, Apple, Stitcher, and Spotify podcast. You can also find us on YouTube. And don't forget to keep it locked with an attitude. Bye.